Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. Just before we begin, this is the first of a two-part podcast focusing on the energy transition. In other words, everything that will go into electrifying our energy grids and decarbonising our economy. In future shows, we'll be speaking to the CEO of UK grid operator National Grid and the UK country head of energy generator RWE about the challenges and opportunities the energy transition provides. In the next two shows, though, Adam Farstrup, head of Multi-Asset Americas, speaks to big investors in energy. David Boyce, CEO of Schroeder's Greencoat in North America and fund manager Mark Lacey. In the first show, they'll talk about the tech race and key growth areas in the energy transition, along with potential risks. The second show is all about opportunities. Anyway, enough of me. The next voice you'll hear is Adam Farstrup's. Enjoy the show. So I've really been looking forward to today's conversation, not only because I'm joined by tremendous experts in the field, but because energy is such a critical aspect of Schroeder's 3D Reset thesis. To remind everyone, our 3D Reset thesis is that we're seeing a regime shift in markets and economies driven by demographics, decarbonization, and deglobalization. One outcome of the pandemic has been a profound shock to patterns of work globally. This combined with long-term demographics has led to worker shortages. Another shock from the pandemic was a realization that global supply chains and energy supplies remain vulnerable to external influences, and the war in Ukraine has driven home this point. In Europe, we've seen an acceleration in renewable energy spending as decarbonization moves from an environmental policy goal to also encompassing national security needs as well. In the US, utilities are investing in generation and distribution capacity to meet growing demand for electricity and renewables. And renewables are really a crucial part of this response. The need to secure supply chains also feeds into the globalization trend where companies and governments are now balancing cost and reliability as they make sourcing decisions. With energy so crucial to economies and the forces of decarbonization and deglobalization accelerating energy spending, let's bring in David and Mark to help us break all of this down. So if I could start uh, with a broad question, and, and really recent years have seen an extraordinary period for energy investors. In 2019 and 2020, we saw a massive surge in clean energy stocks, while 2021 and 2022 saw prices climb in traditional energy companies. So my question is, what's an investor to think about all of that? Should they be paying more attention to the space, or are they just chasing bubbles? Mark, why don't we start with you? Okay, so very good question, particularly relating to, obviously, the probably the best way to describe it is euthoria that we saw um, towards energy transition equities on the public market during the 2020 period. We saw the sector essentially go from a massive discount relative to the broader market to a considerable premium. When I say considerable, 40% premium. And what we've seen since then is basically, since the end of 2020, a consistent derating in that sector. And that's derating is something we would say is unbelievably healthy. While at the same time, exactly as you've pointed out, the conventional energy sector has increased almost 200% in terms of the public equity exposure in the conventional energy sector. 
And the reason for that is, while you've had this backdrop of an unwind in energy transition equities from a valuation perspective, the market is really becoming aware that we have this energy crisis. And actually, when you look at the demands on the energy system over the next 10, 20, and 30 years, we're going to be short energy unless we put a lot of investment in the ground. Now, that investment in the ground is going to disproportionately go to the energy transition sectors. And it's not going to be a straight line investment. You're going to have very, very lumpy investments. But ultimately, the magnitude of the investments um, in the energy transition sector are almost as much as five times the historic run rate of fossil fuel capital expenditure on a go-forward basis. So this is going to lead to investors becoming aware that this is actually not a stagnant sector to invest. It's actually becoming a growth sector. Now, the role of the conventional energy company, such as Exxon, Shell, or BP, I'll use those um, simple ones, along with Baker Hughes and Schlumberger, is that you'll see these companies adapt their business model to basically cater for those huge growths and those new energy transition technologies. So we have had a mini bubble in energy transition equities. From this point onwards, though, the valuations look extremely attractive relative to the forward growth rates. But if you look at the energy complex as a, as a whole, we've got a huge investment period ahead of us, starting from an unbelievably low valuation. So, so David, you're you're investing in, in operating assets uh, in, in the renewable space. How, how does this play out for you? Well, I mean, just to pick on pick up on some of the themes uh, that Mark was outlining, um, the macro trend is absolutely there. Uh, we are in a transition of, um, uh, you know, how we think about power globally, and certainly that's the case uh, in my business specifically in the U.S. So the macro trend is there. There is an increasing demand for electricity. There's old plant retiring. I mean, just the basics are there. Let alone uh, thinking about you know carbon or pollution uh, layered on top of it. So, uh, you know, in terms of any kind of short-term blip, that's you know the the underpinnings of this. Uh, it's it's certainly not a short term. It's 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 kind of a long-term transition. Um, and I, I I think that kind of long-term is the way to think about it. Um, it's not really a and nor should it be expected to be kind of a, a tech blip, right? That runs up super fast and then runs right back down super fast. It's that's not the characteristics we're talking about here. We are transitioning, you know, how we use energy in the world. Um, there's no silver bullet. There's no no magic wand. There's no one technology that's going to accomplish it at all. It's it's made up of all kinds of of different inputs, and in terms of deployment, um, this transition is not going to happen overnight. Um, it, it just simply can't. You can't replace, <clears throat> for example, you know, the entire infrastructure uh, for how we fuel cars or how we generate electricity. Uh, that just simply, even with the best of intentions, can't happen overnight. So, I, I you know, I don't look at it uh, really as a short term. I think it's a long term opportunity. Now on on um, on renewable energy and specifically kind of wind and solar, um, I would say we have <clears throat> seen some robust valuations uh, certainly, and um, and a lot of people have benefited from from that run up, and I think with inflationary pressures, uh, underlying capital costs, um, we're seeing some of those valuations uh, needing to adjust. 
Um, but they will adjust and it will stabilize and we'll, we will see that kind of show up in, in, you know, in power prices, for example. Uh, and, and, and so I think though the, the margins and the economics people can expect, you know, are going to hold subject to some, some to and fro. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. I mean, that's such an interesting point, David, and and it brings me back to something I wanted to ask Mark, which is, you know, this dynamic that you highlighted where you say this is not tech investing, but there is, particularly in public markets, right, we see this this sort of... uh, bubble mania in in some of the renewable sectors in particular that comes and goes that makes it feel like a technology race but but david's making the argument this is basic infrastructure investing you know does that matter to you as a as a public markets investor uh, mark no it, it doesn't and it's a good question because i mean obviously our approach across the conventional and the energy transition space is we run a diversified and a wide universe approach to investing. There are times when hydrogen stocks, which we've had in the past, the valuations have looked nothing short of mad in terms of the multiples you'd pay for these sorts of companies if, if they have actually need profit to put a multiple on. And so we've been very underweight that sector for some time. But given the retracement and given you're that much closer to now profitability inflecting, we can move the portfolio into this area. Just like in the conventional energy space, you know, we've actually had this tilt towards gas-weighted names for quite a long time, which has obviously paid dividends for investors in that strategy, you know, rather than being basically long oil, even though the oil market tightened. The reason for that is we see gas as a very, very important transition fuel. As David rightly pointed out, This is not going to be switched off overnight. You're not going to see power generation in markets such as the US suddenly switch from gas to renewables overnight. Gas is going to be one of the most important fuels for balancing the grid while we go through this transition. And there's a huge amount of value in those those players right now that hold these, these key assets. So for us, a diversified approach has paid dividends so far through this mini bubble that you rightly highlighted right at the start. And its approach will just continue to have for our client base on a go forward basis to protect their capital when you have these periods of retracement in those individual subsectors. So so for both of you, do you, you know, on this on this point about technology though, do you worry that the technologies being deployed today are vulnerable to disruption from other technology coming down the road. And here I'm thinking about could be cheaper nuclear, nuclear fission, uh, green hydrogen. You know, how, how do you think about um, the impact of that as a long-term investor uh, on the decisions you're making today? Well, I would say, I, I mean, I, I often people ask me that question and, as if there is lurking out there some, again, magic technology that is just going to revolutionize the, the planet. And not only that it exists and can be deployed and does everything we want from a cost and reliability and environmental perspective, but of course, then it can also be applied, you know, it's at, at global scale overnight. And, um, and, you know, what I said before, I think still holds. Uh, there's just no magic bullet out there. Um, the reality is, I think there will be more technologies coming out. Nuclear is a, a good one. Nuclear could have a role in the future of how electricity is generated. But do I think we're going to deploy nuclear 
globally that just kind of replaces all of these other things. Um, and I think, you, you know, the, the common sense man would tell you, no, I can't see nuclear being deployed on that scale because of all of the, uh, you know, negatives around around nuclear power um, and and dangers and risks. Can those be managed? Sure, but they still exist and, and you're still going to find resistance. So I, I, I mean, I do think, again, there's going to be an evolution. We're talking about long time frames here, but I think it's it's you're going to see new technologies come on and sit side by side with existing technologies. Um, and, and I think we're going to be, again, in that transition, right, as we move, shift from one to another for, for an awful long time as, as uh, you know, as, as this, whole, um, this whole thing unfolds. It's, it's funny, isn't it, that everyone goes straight to nuclear as the potential disruptor. But as, as David said, let me just give you some basic facts behind nuclear. When you look at the levelized cost of energy, which is a typical standardized unit of measuring the efficiency of these technologies in terms of their total cost delivered to the consumer, what we've seen is a nothing but a shift up in nuclear costs over the last 10 years. In fact, in the last five years, when you take, you know, the, we have a project in the UK called Hinkley Point. It makes your eyes water in terms of how quickly it's jumped up. I mean, the, the total cost is going to be 100% above what they originally expected. So that leads us on to small modular reactors, which from our perspective, small re modular reactors could be an exciting technology. You have a company in the US called NewScale, which has a, a small 77 megawatt um, small modular reactor, or you have companies in the Rolls-Royce, which are established in the nuclear industry with a 470 megawatt reactor. But you have to put that in perspective, as David says, that is not coming onto the market overnight. Your best case scenario is 2029 for a small modular reactor to sit side by side with basically wind and solar. And wind and solar have both undergone huge technology change and development in terms of efficiency over the last 10 years alone. We wouldn't expect the same rates of efficiency gains on a go-forward basis, but don't write off the fact that you're probably going to continue to see more efficiency gains on a go-forward basis. So that puts more pressure for these technologies which are out there or as potential competing technologies to really eat into that market. The, the, the key growth area will be hydrogen storage and using that as a storage vehicle for excess wind and excess solar and obviously batteries as well and and you know if you if you take tesla's forecast of the battery storage market globally then you then you end up with over a terawatt hour of, of storage that's not going to happen but it shows you the potential for that market to grow get in touch with us by email at shoulders podcasts at shoulders.com or visit our website shoulders.com forward slash the investor download. What other risks do you see investors being exposed to in the energy transition? Are there areas that investors should be shying away from uh, or, or should they be um, thinking about this in a very uh, specific sense? Well, some of the things that we see are, uh, and I think when people ask me about kind of the energy transition 1.0 in the in the 2000s which which kind of didn't meet expectations and again i think there's a lot of uh, the the 
the then kind of recent learnings from from tech and, and how fast things could move and and people were really thinking about this energy transition and 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 expecting it to go extremely fast. One uh, caution I would kind of put out there, um, and and uh, the example I always talk about are smart grids, right? Uh, that's very tech based. Um, and there's just a lot of interesting things you can do with controlling our grid, getting information from the grid, and and really making some some you know some improvements to how you operate a grid. But the one thing people forget is while all of those things are wonderful, and you can envision uh, and have seen models for how these grids could operate. Um, you know, there's 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 also kind of a resistance. You've got utilities that earn a regulated rate of return, and you need that acceptance, right? The technology could be great, but you've got a, you've got a very conservative group of customers and a finite group of customers, and who's going to take make the investment number one, transition their whole grid over and take that risk when their number one job, quite frankly, is reliability. Right, so you've got you've got to make that case, that cost benefit case for utilities, and I think people somewhat forget that just because some of these things can work, um, you you've actually they've actually got to work in the in the real world for people, and I would say that extends, you know, absolutely across the board. And and Mark just pointed out the the tech gains in wind and solar. Um, I my background is in power plant development, and I tried to sell solar power to utilities ten years ago. That was very expensive power. Did solar power work? Is it a clean technology? Um, does it deliver on peak power? Yeah, it does all of those things. But you still need that acceptance factor, and I think people need to be mindful of uh, what makes any technology ex- uh, acceptable. And in the case of solar. It's just simply um, the panels became much cheaper and much more efficient given a, a solar resource. And guess what? It's now cost-effective power that competes with with fossil fuel. That's really what's driving acceptance of solar, for example. And so I, I think anything you're talking about, nuclear or, or anything, you, you also have to think about kind of that acceptance. And you're not necessarily selling to the public at large. You're selling to you know, the, the, the load serving entities, the utilities, um, that need to, to provide reliable power, reliable and inexpensive power to customers. When you, when you mention risks as well, Adam, I mean, you know, where do I start? This is investing and we have to, we have to look at risks from all angles. Um, and there are lots of risks investing in the energy sector. I mean, take the energy transition sector. Um, and David's touched on this to a certain extent, but we have so many developers that come through our door saying we've got this and this project in our pipeline and then when you back it up with basically the grid connections you say where where are you sitting on grid connections and they can't access the grid and so you have to be very very careful about where you deploy the capital into those companies that actually have that access and grid connections can be a big problem globally for a long while uh, you know, the US, there's already growing queues of grid connections for solar and for wind now. It's much slower in wind because obviously you start from a lower base, but solar is a big problem. In the UK, it's a massive problem in terms of grid connections. So that's one of the, you know, the highlight and risks, I would say, is, you know, what, what the quickest way to destroy the net present value of any project is to delay it by one or two years. 
trust me, investors just don't like that from a return perspective. The other risk is obviously, as we go through the energy transition space, you're going to have mineral intensity going up. And the mineral intensity will come from obviously lithium, lithium availability at first, and then obviously other metals such as potentially copper, um, you could come under constraints as well. And this will cause delays in projects, which will obviously cause pricing and profitability erosion in certain areas. So they're the two obvious areas um, that we can highlight as risks. But obviously, that's why you need active management in this space. I don't think the last three years is, a, is an anomaly. I think you're going to continue to see these mini cycles as we go through the next 10, 15, 20 years of basically of rollout of the energy transition technologies and increasing investment rates. Don't forget to tune in to part two next Thursday, which is all about the opportunities in energy transition. Never has the energy market from a public perspective or a private perspective, ever seen this much capital that's needed going into it in a 30-year period. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, please head to schroders.com forward slash insights. And we're endeavouring to record as many of these shows in the studio on video. If you want to watch them in their full unabridged version, uh, then go to Schroder's YouTube channel. If you want to get in touch with us, it's Schroder's podcast at schroders.com. And remember, you can listen, subscribe and review the Investor Download wherever you get your podcasts. New shows drop every Thursday at 5pm UK time. But above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up. And investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy. 